Welcome everybody to the Fine Flow Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McDermott, McDermott. and my co-host, Bill. Bill, how are you doing today? Good. How are you doing, Sean? I'm doing pretty well. Did you have a good week? Yeah, it's a good week. Good week. Lots, lots of activity, lots going on. All right. Awesome. So we've got a few things today that, um, so I, I, um, I actually, I'm going to call an auditable right now because a really mm-hmm. interesting story hit yesterday around the, um, uh, the guy with, uh, uh, DOD that resigned. Okay. Um, did you hear about that? The, no, uh, I don't, I don't. Um, oh gosh. Um, and, um, so, uh, Pentagon's X software. So let me, uh, Oh, you know what? I did see that actually. Yeah. So it's pretty headline. interesting. So, um, Pentag- so the, so there's a number of titles cause it's all over the place, right? China mm-hmm. has won the AI bottle with battle with us Pentagon's X software chief says. So, um, uh, Nicholas Chalin, I don't know mm-hmm. if I got that right. So apologize if I butchered that. Pentagon's first chief software officer who resigned in protests against how slow the pace of technological transformation in the U.S. military, mm-hmm. saying the failure was putting the United States at risk. And wow. he basically goes on to say, we have no competing fighting chance against China in 15 to 20 years. Right now, it's an already done deal. It's already over, in my opinion, whether it takes a war or not is kind of anecdotal. And he's really talking about uh, China's investment in AI and mm-hmm. just really outpacing everything that we're doing. And, um, and also, you know, the reluctance of the slowness of the military and the reluctance of um, U.S. companies like Google to work with the, the DOD. Um, mm-hmm. So just really interesting. I think there's going to be a lot more coming on that story. And uh, I, I really want to dig into it more. And maybe we'll yeah. talk about it next week. But that one just kind of hit hard last night. That was kind of a crazy crazy headlines. Yeah. One is, I guess two thoughts. The one is that's quite a resignation letter to just throw the entire industrial and military industrial complex under the bus. Um, but two, it probably, I think he hopes it is a wake up call, you know, obviously in China, the military and all of their industry is much more tightly coupled than here. Innovation in Silicon Valley and software doesn't necessarily correspond to you see that technology in our in our military and our government, whereas in China it kind of is. And, and I think even some of the crackdowns happening against some of the technology companies in China is there probably is some pushback happening over there, but you know, you can't push back quite as hard in, in China as you maybe here in the U S. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm no China expert, so I think it's going to take some time to sort through what that means. And, uh, yeah. I, I know, I mean, I've, I do a fair amount of work in the cybersecurity space and, um, we have a we have a podcast over there too, and the uh, we did a story a couple probably a couple months ago about how f- how far behind the U.S. government is on cybersecurity, and that the mm-hmm. uh, OMB actually gave them most of the organizations a, a failing you know, D grade. Right, yeah. now, I think only one was a B, and I think that was um, might have been DHS, I think, but okay. uh, most of them were D's and a few C's. So. Wow. I don't, I, I probably don't, you know, on the surface, you know, just based on my experience, I probably don't disagree with this guy that, you know, we're getting further and further behind in some of these investments. But anyway, so mm-hmm. AI in the news, uh, we don't see AI in the news a lot, right? <laughs> so seeing AI yeah. in the, in the, in the, on the, t- on the front line of CNN was 
it just caught my eye, right? So, yeah. But we'll yeah. we'll come back to that later. I think it'd be interesting to talk about that. So, um, the first article that I wanted to bring up real quick was perform. It's called. Uh, it's written by uh, Salvatore Salomon um, mm-hmm. uh, through uh, RT's Insights, which is Real Time Insights. Uh, he's a physicist and basically he's a trained physicist and basically a tech writer, but and and been writing for I think a couple decades. And he wrote. Um, an article on performance monitoring challenges, solutions, and benefits. And we are going to talk about observability today. That's kind of the theme of today's show. Mm-hmm. And uh, what he really did is he interviewed somebody from Siemens. And uh, what really, th- this is really all about IoT. And, uh, but what really, so when I was reading it, I, I thought, oh, IoT. But then I realized that it was really more about the industrial organizations and machinery yeah. and things like that. Um, but as I'm reading it, I was just struck by how much it correlates to IT, our IT today, right? right. Um, and and the, the correlation is just really amazing. So you start, you know, it's, it talks about, you know, a lot of manual processes of consuming data and Excel spreadsheets. And I'm like, you know, Excel spreadsheets are a mainstay in the IT organizations. Too many tools, you know, for collecting data, no, no common uh, platforms for doing it. Lots of legacy equipment, legacy uh, manufacturing equipment that how how it needs to be uh, managed and instrumented. Uh, Big time heterogeneous environments, lots of different vendors making all kinds of different machinery inside these uh, industrial organizations. Mm -hmm. Uh, The need for intelligence to the data, uh, the the need for a cloud-based system for collection of data and creating a data model and standardization of that. Uh, then the ability to build applications on top of that data, all this IoT data, and they talk about uh, this woman from Siemens talks about three applications of the Siemens platform: uh, Semantic, which does delivers alerts to managers to track the monitoring condition of their of their machines, which is like exactly mm-hmm. what monitoring does in IT. Yes. Performance Insight provides machine and plant performance at a glance. You know, we're talking about uh, that. Um, Collaboration, the semantic collaboration board offers a collaborative solution to address production issues, lets managers share problems and solutions across teams. I mean, all this sounds so much like IT. I just was just kind of like, wow, this is pretty interesting. And, um, you know, and, and platforms like Splunk and Elastic and things like that, how they collect data. Um, and, um, you know, this how things are unstructured and how they can use this, these the Siemens application to gather tons of IOT data so they can actually diagnose the problem before they go, they send a dispatch out there. Sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was just kind of interesting. And then they did talk about AI, right. And the ability that these systems are creating so much information that uh, you're going to need some type of machine learning AI to basically process all this data from an observability perspective. They actually don't use the term observability in here, but it's basically all observability. Yeah. Right. So, did you get a chance to see that article? I did. And I, and I the same thing as, as I read it, I, I just was like, oh, I'm curious to kind of read about what's the state of industrial monitoring. And I just, it's like reading a story about a family and you're like, wait, this is my family, right? So <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was very much the same, the same story. Um, and exactly where they are. And then the, you know, Siemens, uh, talks about the tools they have to address at MindSphere and somatic. And it's, it's the same sort of it, our it operations architecture, as far as collecting performance data metrics, uh, displaying KPIs, running analytics on that. 
even end-to-end workflows for sort of how you manage that data and manage the information and you know work tickets and incidents that happen so it's it's all it's all very much the same and i it reminded me of i think in itsm idle and itsm you know there was also there's often been discussion of just let's just remove it because really this is a framework for service management and i think that general framework for service met for itsm it service management really is a very general framework that has aspects of it that's specific to it um, like software asset management or things like that but i think um it even that applies anywhere else too but i think it, it just applies across the board and really it, we i think we just have to remind ourselves in the it world that you know we're in the service management space the service operation space and whether it is a traditional router cloud you know um application you know the same things are happening in anything else that it is connected to the internet right um, or is connected to anything else and, and the same methodologies, the same data collection, the same challenges apply. So, um, yeah, I, I, and, and the, the last thing I'd say is, you know, they, they talked about this being the cornerstone, like Siemens product to digital transformation. And so even that term is, you know, r- factories, robots, industrial hospitals, the actual, you know, systems that are actually doing care or doing building products, building cars, building smart cities. I mean, that's all digitally transforming at the same time. Our IT is moving to the cloud and containers and everything else. So it's just, it's all interconnected. Yeah. It was just a, if you saw, if you swapped out like machines for routers, switches, servers, applications, microservices, you would actually have literally the exact same article. Yep. So exactly. it's just, yeah. it was just interesting. You know, we're all in this alone. And the reality is, is that IT can play a major role in getting, in getting, um, yeah these plant, you know, these industrial organizations off the ground because they're so, um, they should be so used to collecting massive amounts of data and trying to process this. And they're looking at AI ops and, mm-hmm. and AI and machine learning for processing data. They should be like kind of heading over to the business side and saying, Hey, how can we bring our, our expertise to the table to help solve this problem around IOT yeah. and, um, and maybe even using the same systems. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you can, if you can commonize the, um, if you can commonize the data models, right. And, and then inject those into, you know, your log management system or your data analytics system, whether it be Splunk or Elastic or Sumo or something like that, then, you know, you can now have now a single common platform for collection of data and create a lot of the same applications. So Mm -hmm. just interesting. I thought that was just a, it was a, just thought it was interesting to bring up and just kind of bring, context to what we do every single day and quite honestly maybe we're just not all that special yeah well i think of like cto cio and a lot of if you're gm and you've got factories with all kinds of automation and plants and you know robots building cars and you know all of that industrial automation is that all fall under the cto the CIO, whereas the cio is a little more focused on the it side right so but it's still technology that's in your environment and i think i think i've seen companies that have the CTO reporting to the CIO and, and vice versa. And I think it's sort of, it's sort of oriented towards what's, what's the technology that's really differentiating you as a company, right? And that, and, and, and there's roles sort of those, 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 this chief technology organization and the chief information sort of organizations sort of are very intertwined with each other or need yeah, to be. Agreed. Yeah. Yep. So, so good. Cool. Well, All right. So you I had, had an a, article that you wanted yeah, to Yeah, I did. Out. I you know, came across an article just again around observability. It was written by a senior technology advocate, Josh Atwell at Splunk. It actually didn't talk 
at all about Splunk. It was really about, um, it was titled AI ops is the oxygen for your data, four steps to get started. And I thought that's interesting. Um, you know, I guess your data is the, is living, is, is the, is a living thing. And in order to really make use of it, you need to, you need to supply it oxygen to live. And so, um, it really made four key points, which I thought were all, you know, um, useful, uh, you know, which is why we picked the article, but one is it, it's critical to identify and consolidate your data sources. And, and he has some input as to how to prioritize those data sources. Um, second one was defining the baseline. You got to understand from that data sources, where, where do you stand? Um, I think the second thing is comparing patterns in real time. You got to be able to map and correlate your performance, um, systems and, and business, but then also, you know, cross system performance. Um, and then really the, the fourth sort of step was watching the system to identify new patterns. You need to be learning from the system. So kind of four big picture um, points. I'll, I'll probably comment on a couple of them and then, and then see what you thought about uh, the article. You know, the first one he said is, you know, first really focus on established data sources and start with infrastructure, move up to application performance. I, you know, a couple of warnings there, maybe that isn't the right way to do it, is I think a lot of times organizations focus so much and just let's just get all the data into one place without really saying is this data we even should be pulling into one place is there a lot of noise we're just uselessly kind of pulling up into kind of a centralized system and so i think there's some warnings about that don't just start with what you have if it's not even that useful and then i think starting with the infrastructure moving up to applications i think application performance might be where a lot of app you know a lot of companies want to start because that's really the, the experience closer to the experience that, that the customers are receiving. And so I don't know if I necessarily agree with the prioritization, but I do think it is about getting the data sources and observability going to start with. Um, you know, and then I think he, he talks about baselining, defining your baseline. And I think I'll just comment that this is really where machine learning and AI ops, and you're really what we see a lot of times in your performance management systems need to have the ability to say, all right, we're pulling in important metrics, or maybe it's logs, maybe it's events, but here is, here's what normal looks like. So you can start to having the system automatically to, you know, generate alerts or generate problems, um, based on uh, establishing that baseline versus having to do static sort of thresholds or static rules. Um, and so, you know, I, I agreed with that, but I think it's just, you know, the system that does it is typically your, you know, your performance type system, performance monitoring type system. So do you any, before I get into any more thoughts, um, any thoughts you had on this article? Um, yeah, I had a few, I mean, I mean, you kind of hit on most of it. Uh, I, I thought, I, I agree with you on the, you know, the levels of service. And I think that when you start, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, when you start talking about observability, especially in a cloud environment, mm -hmm. um, you, you can collect a lot of information regarding the infrastructure from like AWS or Azure or something like that. But the observability from like DevOps perspective is all really built in at the application level, right? Yeah. So I, I kind of agree with you on that. I would probably, I mean, if you, you've got to ultimately have the observability across the entire stack. Otherwise, if you're managing and collecting information at the observability level of the application and there's infrastructure issues, you may not know exactly where to look for that. But I think if you're going to start somewhere, I would probably, I think it might depend too, right? It might depend mm -hmm. if you're on a, legacy systems where you're trying to collect information um, and and you're looking, but when you're in a, a cloud environment, you may be looking at, hey, we've got enough um, resiliency and dynamic system 
is that a word, <laughs> yeah. uh, in the infrastructure with AWS and Azure that we really should be, you know, focused on the applications. So, but I think I agree there. The other thing when he talks about is baselining, you know, you're really talking about running this for weeks or months, right? And collecting data for weeks or months before you start understanding your true baseline. And mm -hmm. that's where, yeah, and that's, that's where I think that AI ops is and machine learning plays such a critical role in, in that and in, in the whole process of observability, right? Because mm -hmm. you're just going to have massive amounts of data and then you're bringing in contextual data from third parties. And when you start overlaying that, you know, humans just can't do it. Right. And going back to that last article, you sure as heck don't want to be trying to do this through Excel spreadsheets and pivot tables and things <laughs> like that. So you'll just yeah. never be able to keep up. So, um, yeah, that's yeah. kind of my, yeah. The last thing I, I just kind of back to the first point is, you know, most organizations that are trying to get budget and trying to expand, I mean, you got to pay for AI ops, right? You got to pay for monitoring. And I think a lot of, you got to justify that. And I think there's a big, so what, and I think really if your customers and if the employees, if the applications are doing well and come, you know, they're not, there's no complaints, you know, their response time is good the uh, the refresh is good the transaction support is good data throughput is good you know there's a big so what as to why you know why do we need to go deeper and try to monitor the containers or monitor the underlying servers or monitor the network and so i think you sort of have to start with the overall experience and if there's challenges there then you sort of just then that provides justification to, to 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 you know invest in your monitoring at the deeper layer layers in the infrastructure if you just start with the infrastructure you're kind of not really tying the whole thing together. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a case to be made um, that the application in the end is really, you know, the true measure of the customer experience because mm -hmm. the, it may not be an infrastructure issue. It may be, you know, some type of, of response of, of queries into databases and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, right. Right. Um, and I think ultimately you're, you're, yeah, I think we've talked about this before, right? I mean, as as the industry starts moving more to customer experience management and mm -hmm. less so towards, you know, infrastructure management, because a lot of the infrastructure is just kind of starting to become super resilient, right? Mm -hmm. and, and these are vendors like Cisco and Juniper and stuff like that that are building out infrastructure and uh, that are is much more resilient than it was, say, 10 or 15 years ago. And the introduction of SD-WAN, where you can make your network much more dynamic now. So these things are kind of playing out at the infrastructure level and, and then, um, you know, so the application and that's really the importance of DevOps. So, yep. Yep. So, um, any other comments on that one? Cause that's a pretty good lead into the next. Yeah, no, I think our... so. Why don't we bring up the last, uh, I think the main topic. Yeah. So the main topic is really, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of based on an article written by, um, Jane Groyle, uh, Grohl, sorry, Jane Grohl. Uh, how to improve your observability systems. And it's really, um, so this was written at, uh, she's the CEO of the DevOps Institute, and this was published on Tech Beacon. And it's, this is kind of leading into the last conversation, like how we left off. This is really all about DevOps and observability, mm -hmm. but I think it's a great place to stay. There's a couple things. Um, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll just mention a few things, and I'd love to get your opinion. But, you know, start with culture, right? That's one of the things that she's, uh, she said, the nice thing about this article, there's a lot of quotes from people in the industry and, and what's important to them. So you kind of get a very diverse mm -hmm. idea of what observability means. But uh, she says, start with culture. And um, 
you know, culture is key to aspect of successful observability. Developers must ad adopt an open mindset, allowing team members a window into their processes while operations continue to report systems operations. So, yeah, so um, you're really looking at, you know, a collaboration of teams, which, you know, maybe in some environments, you know, that collaboration hasn't been there in the past. It's kind of been like, hey, we build applications and throw them over the... Um, and then, and then she actually says to you know, bring, mix in automation and AI ops, right? Because in the end, we're back to this problem of bringing in observability into these applications and creating tremendous amounts of data through containers and microservices and backend infrastructure. And you're only going to be able to do it with, you know, being able to process massive amounts of data, looking at new patterns, dynamic patterns, things like that. So everything we've talked about, mm -hmm. um, so I'll, I will stop there. I have some more thoughts, but uh, I'll stop there. Yeah, I kind of the first the first thing I noted was just to start with your culture aspect. And I think, you know, every time you sort of have to put in place a, an, an operation center, right, a, a network operation center, data center operation center or cloud operations um, or command center that, you know, that's really overhead. That's you're now kind of creating a big brother or something that's going to look across everything. And the and who you staff that with are are generalists, right? Unless you can really afford to have teams and experts in, in specific areas. And so I, I think to really a lot of companies are looking at how do we do more with less. It is about how do we kind of eliminate some of that overhead, which really means putting the intelligence and the information out at the edge. And so the developers that are building the products or the engineers building the infrastructure, it's get observability into those systems. And the incentive is that that information is now going to become available to you in making sure you're preventing and 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 and, uh, and and getting information to be able to run and operate it. So the investment is made to really make their life easier when there is issues or there are things or you can monitor performance. And then I think with that data, it's again pushing machine learning out. It's pushing even automation capabilities out to be able to kind of put that control or put that sort of, uh, enablement, you know, out at those edges at those teams. And so, um, you know, I, I think, and that's where she talks about mixing in automation and AI ops really into observability. You can observe, you can analyze, and then you can automate the fix and all that happens in the domain, um, that, that, that the developers are responsible for, the engineers are responsible for That's great, right? You don't have to kind of bring it up into a big centralized command center. Um, you know, and I think, the last point she made is just the bottom line is it takes less time and effort for developers to fix problems in a highly observable system. And, and, and that's what it's really about. So, um, yeah, I, I think not to belabor this cultural point, um, but I will refer back to, I think a conversation we had weeks ago, right. When we were talking about DevOps and the surprising statistics that I saw that was like only something like 25% of companies have would, are self-claiming that they have adopted AI ops principles mm -hmm. and that uh, a lot of, uh, and like 50% think that they'll be further along next year. I don't remember the exact statistics, but it was something like that. And you sit there and you say, okay, well, why in, in all these years we've been talking about DevOps, why do we not have, a, why have more companies not embraced the full DevOps uh, philosophy and operating model. And I, I contend that it's culture, right? And they mm -hmm. haven't solved the culture issue of getting silo teams to come together and work together. 
So they're out there, they're buying platforms for DevOps and uh, you know agile release of code, but they're not going to full. And they think that's DevOps because they bought a DevOps platform, but they haven't kind of gone that full cultural integration of the teams. And that's going to be critical for, for observability because you've got to get the observability uh, components built into the application during, during the build process, during the mm -hmm. dev process. And, you know, and, and there's been some, you know, and they bring up some things around um, uh, protocols that are, that are making it easier to do that, like open telemetry, which mm -hmm. is um, an open source platform for embedding uh, agents and collection into applications that can then be that can then um, generate data into common collectors that can then be put into and pulled out. So you you work with something like Open Telemetry, you then um, and you develop to that. Then you have the ability to output data in more of a common common model. But all this takes time and it takes collaboration. So mm -hmm. um, it's um, I, I think that ultimately. We, we need to be looking at how do we get these teams together to cooperate and how do we break down silos and, uh, you know, looking at, and then how does AI ops play into this? And they, you know, she actually says, you know, AI ops is key to observability. You know, we won't survive really without it because you're yeah. just collecting so much data. And so if you can break down the culture barriers, right. And you can understand that once you do that and you start bringing in observability into the DevOps really philosophy and operating model and start bringing in observability at the dev point where, and using, you know, products like open telemetry or something like that, and then start generating a lot of data and then having that data being processed through AI ops and machine learning, and then being able to bring that data back to the application teams for them to be doing troubleshooting mm -hmm. and application improvement. You've kind of then, you know, complete the full circle except for the fact that, you know, you might be looking at automation along the way too, right? And how do you use that data to automate certain things to either, you know, app, you know, activate more resources for load balancing or automatically generate um, incidents back into the app team so they can do hot fixes faster, things like that. Right. Right. Yeah. I think, I think with the culture, again, there are too many, you know you're doing it wrong when the when the people feel like the tools are being implemented. It's happening to us, right? You know, it's something we got to deal with. This is tool. The decision's been made, and I think the second kind of not as bad as it's happening for us, right? Like, all right, this the, the intention's good, but I think really it's you know you want to get to culturally that you know you're really allowing the, these organizations and staff and the engineers to be able to do things for themselves, you know, and give them the tools, give them what they need to really do their job. And, and, and that also then generates the, the, the incentive to, to, to create the data, to create the things that they need to. So, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, it kind of all goes full circle, right? Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I was on the phone yesterday with a very large, um, electronics company, you know, um, online company, and they're basically a developer mindset. And what mm -hmm. they were saying is, is, what they're really trying to do is, is empower the developers, right? Mm -hmm. And you empower the developers with data, right? And yep. the more you can give them the data, the better they can build applications. So it's not necessarily a top-down approach of understanding how do we manage down. It's about getting data back into developers so they can actually, mm -hmm. um, 
they can manage from the bottom up, right? They can, right. they have the data to make better applications and deliver better services. So, um, good. Any Great. other comments on this? No, I think we covered it. It was good. I think we, uh, I think we, we, uh, put a fork in that one. <laughs> we hammered it home. Hammered it home. Awesome. Well, uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Uh, again, my name is Sean McDermott. Co-host is, uh, Bill Driscoll. Uh, this uh, episode is sponsored by Windward Consulting Group. You can find them at www.windward.com. Uh, they are, Windward is the global leader in AI ops. So you can hit their website and find all kinds of uh, information about AI ops and articles and research and studies and things like that that they've been doing. So I highly encourage you to do that. And, uh, and I, again, appreciate you guys, everyone tuning in. Uh, if you like what you hear, please hit subscribe and um, please click the little bell so you can be notified when we put these things out. But we put these things out every Friday afternoon uh, in time for the weekend. So uh, you got a little bit of time over the weekend to listen to us yammer on about AI ops. So again, thanks for tuning in and we will uh, we'll see you next week. Take care. Yep. Have a great weekend. See you next Bill. week. You too. See you, John.